this is Megan Allman from Tufts University. Hi, my name is Allison Mayfield and I'm a second year OT student at Hofstra University. This is Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How can I foster communication and leadership skills and promote our amazing profession? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. We know a little bit about you just from your Instagram account and your website, but can you just tell um, the audience a little bit about yourself, where you live, um, what kind of work, and what kind of work you do? Sure. Um, so my name is Allie Salamone, and I have been an OT for just over seven years now. And I have always loved inpatient rehab. And then as I grew into that career, started doing a bit of acute rehab too. Um, So those have been my two main areas of focus. And I currently live in Chicago and work at a level one trauma hospital. So we do a lot of acute care, but I also kind of flip back and forth to the inpatient rehab. Um, And a Maybe a little over a year ago now, probably, like, yeah, about a year and a half ago, started that nonprofit and because I was finding that all of my patients couldn't afford their equipment that I was recommending for them to go home with, and I thought it was a problem. So that's mm-hmm. where I'm at. That's awesome. Um, so what... What was it that, like, made you want to get into OT or become an OT? Was there, like, a specific thing that you remember that turned you on to it, or how did that come about? Yeah, it's kind of funny, actually. I was in the pre-dental scholars program, actually, when I entered college and really was sure I was going to be a pediatric dentist, and then was in my sophomore year and my roommate was also in the program and she loved it and I was like I just don't I don't love it as much as she did and I had a a total mid-college crisis and (laughs) I took a bunch of those just like aptitude tests sort of things or like personality tests and they all like OT came up top three on every single one I took and I didn't really know what it was and after exploring it a little bit more I like, yeah, this is totally me because I love to be creative, but I also love to help people, and I love how it just focuses on, like, improving or giving back the dignity of someone after it kind of feels like they've had it taken away from them. So it just aligned really well with who I am, and I'm so glad that I did it because I think I would kind of hate being a dentist. Yeah, that's the difference. Um, did you have to kind of re reget like reroute your um, coursework and everything like that to fit in with the OT route, or were you kind of yeah? I definitely did. I actually um, I had to transfer colleges, so I was at Marquette University in Milwaukee, and they didn't have an OT program, so I had to switch over to Mount Mary University, which is also um, it's in Wauwatosa, so really close to Milwaukee. But I was still, I was having, I was so sad to leave my friends at Marquette, and I was like, oh, you know, I built these great friends over the past two years. So thankfully, I was able to kind of still live in Marquette and switch over. And thankfully, too, the pre-dental track was really 
well-aligned with the type of classes you'd have to take your first couple of years mm -hmm. in the health sciences in the OT world. So it wasn't too bad, but um, I actually ended up taking some summer classes and things so that I could finish my master's just one year post-grad instead of two. I don't know what it is oh. now for you guys. but um, So I just kind of like worked with, once I, once I was in it, I was like, all right, I'm in it. Full speed ahead. Let's go. <laughs> That's awesome. So is your current setting um, that you are currently working in the one that you always thought you would be in, or was it a um, really happy coincidence that you ended up where you are now? Um, good question. I, so I actually am only at the hospital part-time right now, and that is something that I didn't ever foresee. Um, so I, I'm in the type of setting I want, like the acute care. I get to do a mix of acute care and inpatient rehab. But I was finding that it was really, um, because we're, we are like a level one trauma center, that it was really emotionally draining. And um, it was just kind of like becoming not just emotionally draining, but physically really hard on my body, actually, because I... I'm kind of tiny, and my back was, like, hurting from lifting all these heavy patients. So um, I've also, like, always been really involved in my church, and I work part-time at my church now, and part-time, so I'm, like, at the hospital three days a week and at my church two days a week, which is something that I didn't really think that I would ever be doing because after OT school, I went right in and got my master's um, of business so that I could be, like, a a leader on a rehab unit or a manager or something like that. And then after trying that, I didn't really like it. So uh, bottom line is I love patient care, so I've always wanted to stick with patient care. And, um, I'm still doing that, but I'm just doing it three days a week. So I guess kind of like coincidence on how I ended up um, just being there part-time. Got it. That. That makes, totally makes sense, and I think what you talked about too with the self-care and how much like fatigue and the mental exhaustion played in, I can imagine that would be really difficult, especially in a level one setting. I've never personally experienced that. Um, so what kind of clients do you usually um, see in that in your current setting? Yeah, so we're, you know, right in the heart of Chicago, so we see a lot of violence, actually, like a lot of gunshots and stabbings. Um, I see a lot of suicide attempts. I also see, like, a lot of um, car accidents. So um, a lot of brain injuries, a lot of spinal cord injuries. And, I mean, there's always, you know, there's always also, like, the people who just need a hip surgery and um, you're seeing them like post a new hip or post a new knee and then we do see a lot of, uh, you know, strokes. It's just, it's really kind of like the whole gamut of like, it's nice because I can see anything for patients age 14 like all the way up and so it's kind of, it can be really intense some like, I can go from one room where it's super intense to, like, another room that's just kind of, like, and I don't mean for it to seem not as important, but, like, an older person who tripped and they're just making sure that they can go back home safely. So mm -hmm. That's crazy. It seems like you just see such, like, a difference in clients. Like, every day it must be kind of something different then. 
Yeah, it's fun. I like it like that. It kind of keeps me on my toes. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you don't get, like, burnt out kind of doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. Um, is there a specific setting that you haven't experienced or, like, a specific clientele that you haven't really worked with much that you hope to be able to work with in the future? I've never really spent time in the schools, working as an OT in the schools, and I always, like, joked when I started to have kids that would be, like, the perfect job to get into so then I could work, like, school hours like my kids work. Um, So maybe someday that's, like, in the cards for me, but right now I still love being in the hospitals. Um, Mm -hmm. I've dabbled in and done, like, registry work, Um, so just, like, an as-needed physician in – subacute rehab facilities or an independent assisted living facilities. I've done um, kind of like all of that stuff. So I I think I've determined that the hospital kind of feels like my home, but I'm not opposed. I haven't spent a lot of time in outpatient, actually. Yeah. I, I'm not opposed to it, but I just like, I love, I love being with patients when they're really vulnerable um, and they really mm-hmm. feel like they really need you. Sounds like you've done you, so much in just seven years. Yeah, that's what oh, I guys, it too. feels so long. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we'll, you'll see. <laughs> um, it'll ha- it, ha- it goes by so fast. So like it'll you'll look back and be like, oh my gosh, has it really been seven years? It's crazy. But know, at the same time, you're like. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like you have like freedom? Sorry, Becca. <laughs> just no, no, don't worry, don't worry. Do you feel like you have like that freedom to? Because I feel like in school right now, like it's so open, like the opportunities and everything we're learning. There's so many ways that we can go with it once we become professionals. Like, do you feel now that you are like an actual registered OT that it is kind of like fairly? easy for you to move around kind of if you wanted to stuff like that yeah I know what you mean um I would say it's let's see so if you want to work in this in Chicago at least because I spent the first uh three years of my career in my hometown of Rockford so that I could like work and get my MBA and still be financially responsible and live at my parents house um to afford paying for that other degree Um, so there there was like more flexibility but Chicago is more of a saturated market a lot of people want to live here and a lot of OTs want to work at some of the big hospitals here Um, Mm -hmm. but they do like there's a heavy need for OTs like in the schools and the nursing homes here in the city Um, so it kind of depends on what setting you love the most Um, I've been really interested there's a couple organizations in the city that are really focused on um, psychiatric patients, and I spent like a short time working in a psych ward, and I really loved it. But um, they really want like people who are full time for those positions. There's also other cool organizations that like will go in and do you know like um, ergonomic assessments for different people's homes or businesses, and like that stuff is awesome. But I feel like it is it is harder to get into those more like niche markets. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to kind of I, either kind of like have to show that you have ex- – they don't really just want someone who's like new who thinks it would be cool to do. Like you kind of have to prove your worth a little bit before you get 
kind of like uh, an offer or just even looked at mm -hmm. for something like that. Got it. So we also wanted to ask you a little bit about your um, that organization you started, Ally the OT, um, and just about what I know you mentioned in the beginning about how your you found a lot of your patients couldn't afford um, the equipment you were recommending for them that they needed. So you created this idea. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about how it works, how you um, get these equipment and determines and how you determine which patients they go to and that kind of process. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot a lot of stuff. So um, I all of my seven years was like so surprised at like the lack of insurance coverage for equipment that like Medicare and Medicaid doesn't deem necessary for a patient to go home. So like any bathroom equipment is deemed like a luxury for someone to go home with, like a shower chair or a commode in the toilet or something like that. And so I always just thought that was insane because I was like, this person can't get in and out of the shower. How can you say that it's a luxury? Um, and so little things like that, but then also the bigger things like, oh, if they've had a walker or a wheelchair in the past five years, like Medicare or Medicaid, they're not going to cover it again unless it's been five years, so they can't get a new, even if they need a different kind, like say they had, you know, another stroke or something else that impaired them like more, but if they already had like something covered, they can't get something else. So I just was like, this is such a crazy system, like I it was breaking my heart when I would be like, you know, you really need this or your family really needs this to be able to lessen the burden of care to take care of you at home, but your insurance doesn't cover it. And then basically sending them to like a church basement or, you know, a cheap site like Amazon or something maybe where they can maybe afford something um, instead of trying to like go through a medical supply company where that equipment is like outrageously expensive. Um, so I was like, how can I fix this problem? So at my first hospital I worked at, I tried to start like a lending closet sort of thing. And the hospital, and every hospital since, I've tried to do that, and they won't do it because they say it's a liability issue for the hospital, even if mm -hmm. the equipment's like checked out to be like A-okay. Right. Um, so then I was like, all right, well, I have to do this on my own because since I'm working at the hospital, I can't like just give it to them if I don't have like my own organization because it'll still be, it'll still fall liability on the hospital. Um, so I was like, all right, I finally have like the energy and like, I feel like I know a little bit more, so I feel like I can do this. Um, but so when I, I first started it, I didn't really know what, what would come of it. I didn't know like how I was really going to get the word out and how, um, yeah, like how people were going to take to it. Um, I felt like another really important like part of the puzzle was trying to educate the patients and the families and make things like a little mm -hmm. bit more easier for them to understand because the hospital is like such a scary and overwhelming place and it shouldn't be like that. It's really simple. So if they can like have a little bit of knowledge before something like this happens or as it's happening so that someone is like explaining it to them in layman's terms, I felt like that was really a crucial piece. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try and do the equipment thing and I'm going to try and educate them at the same time. And um, I, you know, had like an initial fundraiser to kind of like get things going and I was reaching out to people so that putting my name out there so that if anyone had equipment that they were like contacting me. And so basically how it started was I would be like driving around the city 
picking up equipment from people who would donate it and storing it in the back of my car or my apartment. And then um, my church was really awesome and gave me a room to start storing equipment because I started getting more coming in. Um, so at that time, like, I had had a bunch at the, in every place ever, like my friend's apartment, the back of my car, <laughs> my parents' house, like everywhere. And I had to, like, go rent a truck and pick it all up and take it to this room in my church. And my church is awesome. Like, they're, they still have it there. So then I was like, okay, now I have to find people to start giving this to. And so I would really try to give equipment to anyone who reached out. Like, I never wanted to turn anyone down. So if I didn't have the equipment that they needed, I would like search out on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or somewhere else and try and find the equipment for a cheaper price. Or I would use some of the money that had come in from like the fundraisers to purchase equipment for them. Um, brand new, but I always wanted to like meet the person and assess like their home setup to make sure that that was the right piece for them. So I felt like that was also really important. It wasn't like, I'm just going to send you this piece of equipment. Like, if I didn't know that it was the right piece for them and really what they needed. Um, so it was a lot of, it is, it's a lot of driving for me kind of around the city. And then also like sometimes if the equipment's too big, like paying to rent a vehicle and then paying for the gas and mm -hmm. sometimes needing like two or three people to help me like carry the equipment if it's bigger. So like trying to like compensate those people, even though like none of them ever accept any money from me. But just like, <laughs> you're like, okay, like how do we, how do we do this? And then having the, having the time to do that too and then having the time to like be a presence on social media and make videos to show people what we've been doing and make videos about education, it like became kind of like a full-time job. And I was like, I am working at the church and working at the hospital and trying to do this and I, am, I just have no time for myself and I'm not making any money. And it was just kind of like, like, I know this is so needed, but I need, like, a million dollars. So that's kind of where we're at right now is I've been trying to apply for grants or do other fundraisers or things and seek out, you know, different organizations that might be willing to put us on as, like, one of their donors for 2020 and things like that. But I am, like, coming up short, and I'm, I'm losing a little bit of steam and trying to problem solve, you know, what are ways to make this make this like easier kind of. So a lot of problem solving. One thing I've thought of is like creating more of a, a network of uh, where somehow I'm kind of selling something where it's like, I don't know, something, something motivational or inspiring that people will buy and, that, and then that money coming in would go towards purchasing equipment brand new for someone and like shipping it to their house like from Amazon straight. But I really miss that like personal kind of mm -hmm. assessment and clinical judgment for each each person because I feel like that's part of the beauty of it too is being able to spend time with them and learn their story and give them, you know, a boost of like hope and confidence to get to get out there again. So guys, it's just kind of that's where we're at. No, that I just talked for a really long time. No, that, that is so incredible that you can do all that on your own. And I, I can completely see why it would be very overwhelming and exhausting. Um, but like, and with all the work that you put into it, is there, and despite like all the obstacles you have to go through to get there, do you have one, I know you refer to them as missions on your Instagram. Do you have 
like a oh, favorite yeah. mission that you would want to share that really made it all worth it? Oh gosh, that is hard. I really have loved like all of them. I I really mean that. One maybe that's like standing out right now was um, the first kind of little mission that I did on my own, which was to this um, girl who had been in a bad car accident and she had a little boy and was living like with her parent, her mom and like some other family members and just her OT from the rehab institute in Chicago was like, oh, she could really use um, a long handled mirror to check her wounds. She had a spinal cord injury, so her legs were paralyzed. Um, she could really use like this pot holder thing from the stove so that she could like actually cook for herself and her son. So it was just like really little things that she told me she needed. Um, so I went to her house and like had brought a bunch of like long handled equipment and stuff like that. And after being with her, realized like that she hasn't been able to get in and out of her bathroom for like seven years since this happened to her. And she hasn't been able to like stand up and her bed rails are broken and like all of this stuff. And so then we were able to like go back and bring like a standing frame and a roll-in shower chair for the bathroom and all of this equipment that like she really needed but probably thought it was like too big of an ask or that her OT because she was just seeing her an outpatient didn't really know her home setup. Um, and know like what she was struggling with for the past however many years so that's one that like really meant a lot to me because I was like gosh like it just is some and sometimes like the missions like the equipment just like fell into my lap and other times it was really hard to track down and for her like everyone was just so generous and it just all worked out really well um so I would say that one that mission with Andrea and I I'm the worst. I can't even remember what number it was. Maybe like number <laughs> That's amazing, though. I love, I feel like what you were talking about with, like, wanting to come up with another way to kind of raise money or grants or anything like that. Like, I feel like there's got to be a way that you can do that because your Instagram is, like, seriously so, this is going to sound so cheesy, but it's so, um, like inspirational and I really found that like all those missions like those little videos you put together were they're so amazing because they're like informative and I mean even I like was learning things from it and you can just see how much those people like need the education and the equipment and I just think it's like such a cool thing that you have going so um oh thank you I know it's like it's so so good that you're just like I don't want to have to like close it down but at the same time, like, mm-hmm. even just, the, like, the cost of, like, keeping it around for, like, another year and paying the state, like, the nonprofit things that I have to pay, uh, like, pay to run the website, like, that stuff, it's when you don't have money coming in. And, like, I've never, you know, took any money, like, to compensate myself because I've always been, like, you mm-hmm. know, like, think of all of the money that you could, like, you know, get for this one, per- you know this could help this one person have this one thing or, you know, that's why it's like so annoying that I have to pay the state like hundreds of dollars because I'm just like, you're, I could be doing something good with this money. You know? So you yeah, have to pay so. the state to have a nonprofit. Yeah. So I'm a registered 501c3. So you have to pay like every year to file your taxes and to like maintain your status as a 501c3. It's not a ton of money. I think on, like once it's all said and done, it's under 500, but it's still like you have to have money for that. Mm-hmm. 
That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, so wild. we'll kind of move off that a little bit and kind of just get into some OT things. Um, yeah. What is, like, one thing that you didn't really expect to experience or see as an OT? Like, something along, like, what you said you've been an OT for seven years now? Mm-hmm. So something that mm. just kind of surprised you, like, in these past seven years that you didn't expect? That's a good question. Let me think about it for a minute. Um, it's going like to sound a, a little bit – I can do, like, a positive and a negative, but, like, I guess the positive is – I, like, have patients from my very first job that, like, like I had a voicemail from one last night, like a, a form, like an amputee who just, like, called to check in. And, like, I've maintained friendships with these people who have, like, really, truly become, like, family to me um, over, like, like, I have, like, at least, at least, like, 15 people, like, that have been past patients that are now, like, a part of my, like, life all of the time which is incredible so that's like the positive and then something that I didn't expect like I just didn't expect for relationships to like go that deep and like maintain Mm -hmm. like that Um, and then like a negative is I just didn't I didn't fully understand like the insurance system and the healthcare system and kind of what a what a mess it is when I was going into OT school and like going into this profession and I didn't realize how much insurance like rant would run like our our life as an OT and like how much the healthcare system and just like the hospital trying to make, you know, make money, like how much that was going to affect the way that like the amount of time I get with a patient and the amount of like time I have mm-hmm. to spend being productive at work and like whereas my favorite part of being an OT is kind of just sitting with someone and and educating them and talking to them and being there for them and, you know, doing the OT stuff, but like spending a little bit more time. Um, But you really can feel, and depending on what setting you're in, but you can really feel like you've got to like rush through a session because you've got, you know, this many other people that you have to see that day. And that's like the way of the, the way of the healthcare system now, which I didn't really, I didn't really expect going into it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely seems like it'll be really hard to adjust to. And I feel like you're someone who's taken or made the effort to find ways to work beyond that. But, I mean, you clear, like, as you said, it takes up a lot of your time and energy. And at some point, it's like you can only do so much as, mu- as much as you would like to help everyone as much as they need to with everything. Um, right, yeah. So... With students, like, who maybe are going into, um, who are starting to actually do their level two field works and, like you said, going and actually practicing OT and the things that you didn't know beforehand, do you have any advice for students who are about to make that transition, um, starting level two oh my gosh. field work? <laughs> you it's can so fun. It's so overwhelming. <laughs> It's really overwhelming, but, like, don't let yourself get overwhelmed. You know more than you think you know. 
Um, that's like a big thing. I like, especially because you're going into like a new a new setting maybe, and like your supervisor is you know putting a lot of demands on you, and they kind of think that you know a lot, but like just ask a lot of questions. They don't expect you to know everything. They know, you know, that you don't know everything because they were at where you were at, but. Also, like, trust yourself and just be yourself because you know a lot more than you think, like I said. And patients don't want you to, like, be perfect. Like, they're in a time when they're going through something where, like, they don't have on their best face and they, like, don't like the situation that they're in. So if you can just be kind to them, they don't care if you're, like, you know, doing everything exactly right. They just want someone who's kind, who's going to help them and, like, show them that, like, they like will, you know, can be independent again and can be like back to their old self. So I guess that would be my advice. But just like, you know, stay on top of it, work hard, but like just be be kind to them. <laughs> and like don't feel like because of like the pressures of field work that you can't be like the person that you want to be or the therapist that you want to be. Does that make sense? Like, Yes, that does. <laughs> you want to spend more time with them and, like, you know, pop in, you know, after your shift or something, like, you can, you know, be that person and don't get too overwhelmed with, like, the notes and all of that stuff. Right, yeah, like, remember why you wanted to do it in the first place. Yeah, I keep coming back to that because... And in those times of, like, field work, you'll just be like, oh, my gosh, I'm supposed to be doing field work, and I'm supposed to be studying for my exam, and I need to work out, and I need to see my friends. And it's just like, eh. it gets It gets a lot easier. And you'll feel like a pro by the time your field work's over, and then you'll go into your next one, and you'll feel like an idiot again. <laughs> but then you'll, you'll be done, and you'll feel like a pro again, but then you'll start your first job, and you'll feel like an idiot again for, like, three months, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> I'm serious. That's kind of how it a lot, happens. A lot to look forward to. <laughs> no, you do. I don't mean for it to sound bad, but, like, it's just, like, you can't be too hard on yourself because that is what's going to happen probably unless you're just, like, a genius who knows everything. But, like, it's like a period of learning, so you're allowed to feel dumb sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it definitely, it definitely does feel like it gets super overwhelming already, so... But it's also exciting, so. It is so exciting and so fun, and you are making, like, the best choice, I swear. Like, it's so rewarding. It's an awesome, awesome job. (laughs) Okay, so this is something that we've talked about in, like, a couple of my classes. Um, It always comes up around, like, the autism lectures. But um, everybody kind of has, like, that one quirk about them, like, whether it's, like, a sensory avoiding or seeking kind of behavior. So, like, for me, I can't stand the thought of, like, the tip of my nose being touched. It's super weird now <laughs> I'm saying that on the podcast, but it's, it's super weird. I don't know what it is. But do you have, like, any, like, weird sensory quirks? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. I really don't like loud noises. I, like, I really, it really bothers me. I have to, like, my fiancé actually gives me, like, such a hard time about that because, or, like, he just, like, understands that I'm, like, like, oh, like, really? It's not that loud? And I'm, like, it's really, really, really loud. Like, I can't, it almost is, like, 
well, I must have like been in the womb and like things must have been really loud sometimes and I just like <laughs> must have been you know like freaking out but I really can't it kind of puts me in like an anxious state and I and it's not like if it's like one honk it's fine but if it's like something loud like actually where my sister and I live right now they're redoing the apartment underneath us and it's been like really loud and it just kind of like puts me I'm like I have to leave I can't be here so that's definitely <laughs> my sensory thing I can't handle like a lot of really loud noise yeah <laughs> Megan do you have any yeah, I remember also talking about this in our, um, I think it was our sensory processing lecture, but mine is, I, like, it does not matter how hot it is, like, I could be in the desert, I have to sleep with a blanket over me, like, if I don't have Ooh. pressure, I cannot go to sleep, it's very strange, and it doesn't make <laughs> yeah. sense in some temperatures, but that's just fine. <laughs> Um, so, Allie, you, sorry, what? Oh, I just said that's interesting. My brother's like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just, like, I don't feel comfortable unless I am, like, all, like, wrapped up in something. <laughs> but we have, like, one kind of wrap-up question. So, looking into the, um, your next plans, do you have anything you'd like to do um, as your next journey in your next step as an OT like does that it can have to do with your organization or a professional goal you have basically any future plans yeah um, I would love if I could figure out how to make this organization sustainable without having to close it down because it was like a few years in the making and then once it was made I was like gosh, maybe, you know, it's going to do something, but then it became, like, really something really fast, and I still get, like, emails every day, and I'm getting, you know, people reaching out to donate or ask for equipment, and it's like, this has, like, this is something that's really needed, so if I can figure out how to keep it going, that would be great. Um, But outside of that, I really like my, like, work-life balance right now with working, like, a few days at the hospital and a few days at the church and um, I probably will like keep that going and and at least for like the foreseeable future I don't really have any plans for changes there. Awesome. Well, we wish you the best of luck with your future plans and with your organization. It was so cool talking to you about it and um, sharing your story with us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook at MyOTJourney, and on Instagram at MyOTJourneyPodcast. Thanks for listening. Go OT!